Now for the call to worship. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his uprightness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. Desire the wicked shall perish. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know that you are with our worship. You are our king, our prophet, our priest. May everything we say and do here glorify you and uh, grow us in you as we worship you in your son's precious and holy name. Open our Bibles to Zechariah 1, 12 through 17. That'll be near the very end of the Old Testament. One of the very last prophets. And it's chapter 1, verses 12 through 17, which would be on page 793. Zechariah 1, 12 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was hungry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts. And the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts. My city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. Thus is the reading of the Word of God. Now we have a psalm reading, page 832, a responsive psalm reading, Psalm 125. Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in heart. Peace be upon Israel. Now let's turn to Mark chapter 5. We'll be picking up where we left off. 
verse 21, through the end of the chapter, it's kind of a lengthy passage today, which, you know, when you're in the Gospels or historical narratives, the lengthy passages uh, kind of need to be preached in one. Uh, you wouldn't mind actually doing this in Romans, where there's just so much theological truth packed in each verse and paragraph, but, but in the Gospels and in the historical narratives, sometimes this is necessary and it is good. So, here we are, Mark chapter 5, verses 5 through 21. So we read the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for twelve years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him. He immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping. The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. He said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. We're grateful, Lord, for your word. Help it to grow deep roots in our heart that our faith would be magnified, Lord, as you work in us. You would use us for your kingdom. Help us to understand your truth in your Son's precious and holy name. Amen. This is the reading of the Word of God, Mark 5, 21-43. Well, a carpenter's best friend is their hammer, a surgeon depends on his scalpel, and a farmer must have a trusty combine. All 
All these folks need a tool, and everyone has a tool or instrument they depend on to do their job. Christ, the Holy Spirit, has an instrument or tool as well, which He he gives His children. And that tool is faith. And faith is used by Christ as we walk in it for His glory and our blessing. Let's see how these, these two episodes work together to demonstrate and confirm this truth. So I'm starting off today with something I'm told not to really do and I don't like doing. But it's so obvious in this passage. Um, we have here what uh, what some commentators call the Markin sandwich. So I've just done a second wrong thing. I mentioned food. You're never supposed to do that when you preach, so don't think of sandwiches and food. Uh, but what we have here is a, a sandwich. We have Jairus coming to Jesus after he has healed the, the demon-possessed man, the demoniac. And then as Jesus is walking with Jairus to go to his house to heal his daughter, then we're interrupted with an episode of, of the woman with the episode of bleeding that she had for 12 years. And so Jesus stops along the way. And then he ends going to Jairus' house. So now this is actually in, in all the Gospels it's laid out like this. But it specifically happens more in Mark, the Mark and Sandwich. And it's... Uh, and it's done to, to, to accent a, a point generally, and that point is usually in the middle of the passage, and we'll see that that's, that's the way it goes in this account as well. This is a you know, literary device. You see it in the Psalms all the time. Um, and it's, uh, it's just so obvious here, I, I thought this wouldn't be the worst time to, to mention this. And so we're looking at this passage and we're going to find that uh, the meat of the sandwich is in the middle. So don't think about food. Now that I've brought it up several times. But Jesus has just dealt with the demoniac, driven out uh, a legion of demons, and and now he crosses to the other side. He's just going back and forth. And there's a great crowd. And then this man, this ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, the first person we've had named, other than the disciples and, and Jesus and John the Baptist, the first person that, that's come to Jesus for healing, who's actually been given a name for us to know. And this is, this is Jairus. He is a ruler of the synagogue. There's usually several rulers in each synagogue, so he would be one of those, and he'd be a layman. And him going to Jesus is, is really quite courageous, because what what do we know about the synagogues? It was you know the the Sadducees kind of ruled the the temple, the priests, the Sadducees for the most part ruled the temple, and it was the Pharisees and the scribes who taught in the synagogues. They didn't rule in the synagogues. That was the, the ruler's job. But they were the, the teachers. And 
they were not fond of Jesus for the most part. And so this ruler of the synagogue to come up to Jesus knowing what the Pharisees and the scribes think is, is probably pretty dangerous for him and his position. But nonetheless, he, he runs through the crowd to Jesus. He's pretty frantic. And his, his daughter, as we will find out in a little bit, is this very near death. She's very, very, very ill. And he is showing great boldness and courage and, and, and faith to go ask Jesus to follow him and, and touch his daughter and, and heal her. He even bows to Jesus. He pleads with him to save his daughter. And so Jesus and, and Jairus and the disciples, they, they rush towards Jairus' house to get to his daughter. And of course, Jairus is thinking, we're doing this before she dies. But they're heading forward to go to Jairus' house and heal his daughter. And, and, and the crowd is still following him. And, and then a woman has been following as well. She, she knows of Jesus. And she's been hemorrhaging for, for 12 years which makes her ritually unclean. She should not be in a crowd of people. And in fact, I think that's probably why she's kind of so secretive here. Probably covering her face so people don't see her because what happens if, if people see a ritually unclean person? What do they do? I'll just point at her and say, unclean, get out of here. And then what happens? Then she has no chance to to go to Jesus. And she had been trying to deal with this illness. She'd been going to doctors, and, and it, it says that uh, she suffered much under many physicians. It was not going well. And back in that day, doctors weren't quite held in the esteem that they are today. Or, you know, I don't know if they did leeches back then, but, uh, but they were kind of iffy. And so this wasn't unusual that this would happen, that they would kind of abuse her and take her money. But she was, she was spent not just financially, but, but physically. This has been 12 years, and 12 is, is you probably recognize, is kind of an important number for some reason in these events. I don't have any idea how to tie them together, but just keep that in the back of your mind. 12 is mentioned in both these accounts. <clears throat> um, but Jesus was her last hope. And in great faith, she's rushing towards him. And she, she knew he could heal her. And so she touched the hem of his robe for she had said to herself, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And this is where I, I had a lot of 
a lot of difficulty. I studied the passage uh, quite a bit, and I came to the conclusion this was all just a great work of God. And that's that's in fact uh, one one account that I, the one commentary I did read that I agreed with was was Calvin, and he he said this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Her going towards uh, Jesus and saying, "I just need to touch the hem of his garment." And I'll be saved because everybody else is impugning this woman that I'm reading. And it's just very upsetting. And I just say that because, uh, and they, they believe, oh, she's being superstitious, just like uh, folks in relics uh, uh, in the Catholic Church and, and in, in pagan religions that you just touch something or whatever and, and you get healed. It's got its own magical powers. Well, no, that's not. I don't think we can say that about this situation. And. It's just difficult to read things that impugn a biblical character, a biblical saint in the scriptures where you don't have any any reason to from scripture to say that she did something uh, sinful when it's not mentioned that what she did was sinful. There's no reason to do that here. She had great faith. She knew that Jesus could heal her. And she touched the hem of his garment and boom, she's healed right away. Immediately. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, he immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Jesus knew he had healed. And he knew who he had healed. He did not stop being the Lord God Almighty upon this earth. Remember in the Garden of Eden when God called out to Adam? Did God know where Adam was? Yes. Jesus knew where this woman was. He was calling out to her. The disciples didn't quite understand that and and they, uh, no, I'm, I guess uh, saying that they were mocking is kind of strong, but they didn't understand. They said, Do you see the crowd pressing you? And, and yet you say, Who touched me? They don't understand what's going on here either. Jesus is calling to the woman, and he specifically says he knows someone touched his clothes. I mean, he barely touched him. And there's people slamming into him all around him. This is an unruly crowd. This is not a gentle uh, bunch of folks just walking along, taking a morning stroll. He's being thronged. He's being thrown around, so to speak. And yet he knows that one woman touched the hem of his garment. And he healed her. It's, it's interesting that uh, we have also in the midst of this and we talked about this a little bit in chapter 1 concerning the, the leper and, and this is why I believe Calvin is right as well concerning this is the Holy Spirit leading her because according to the Old Testament yes, that's, she should be hanging out on the outskirts she's unclean 
The unclean defiles and pollutes the clean. But a new day is here. A new covenant has arisen. And now we know that the clean defiles the unclean and makes it clean. Things have been turned upside down. A revolution, in a sense, has occurred. The old diseases are now healed. Christ has fulfilled. those parts of the Old Testament. The clean cleans the defiled. And so there's going to be no more reason in this new covenant paradigm to keep lepers and and sick people away from the crowd. Those are all shadows, and Christ has has come. And His power, His holiness, makes the unholy holy. And so we, we have this woman being called out. And what's it say? He looked around, Jesus looked around, but the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Him and and told him the whole truth. This woman was rightfully frightened. This is a great picture of the of righteous fear of God. Once again, I reading all sorts of things, and, and they're imputing her for being frightened. There's no reason to do that especially when we read what Jesus says. But, you know, it's one thing for you to know this person can heal me. That's great. That's wonderful. That's theoretical, so to speak, right? It's another thing to know that you can go to this person. And all of a sudden, in an instant, your infirmity is gone and you've been healed. That's practical reality. And that's a whole different story. You're thinking, wow, I know if I go to this person they can heal me. And then you do it and, and you're, you're made well after 12 years of suffering. And then it hits you. This is the Lord God Almighty. You know, and, and we all know that Christ is real and He has saved us and we are His. But that day when we finally see Him face to face, do you think it's going to be no big deal? Or do you think we are going to be awestruck and that the fear of God is going to hit us in a way that's never happened before? The shadows will become full reality at that point. And that's what's happening with this woman. But look what it says. It says, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth about 
all the illness and, and the doctors and the suffering she had gone through. And what did Jesus say to her? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He did not cajole her about her small faith or superstitions or, you know, why are you afraid of the Lord God Almighty? No. He blessed her, commended her. That her faith has made her well. The faith that Christ Himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gifted her. This is what we have faith for. To apprehend all the blessings of Christ. In the, if I can find it here, the Belgic Confession, of course, is does a wonderful job. We believe that to attain, and this is Article 22, the true knowledge of this great mystery, the Holy Spirit kindles in our hearts an upright faith, which embraces Jesus Christ with all His merits, appropriates Him, and seeks nothing more besides Him. We justly say with Paul that we are justified by faith alone, or by faith apart from the deeds of the law. However, to speak more clearly, we do not mean that faith itself justifies us, for it is only an instrument with which we embrace Christ, our righteousness. And faith is an instrument that keeps us in communion with Him in all His benefits, which when they become ours are more than sufficient to acquit us of our sins. This woman had been given faith she walked in that faith to go to Christ knowing he would heal her and that is what happened Jesus commends her assures her of his healing for her. She will she will no longer hemorrhage. And yes, she uh, no doubt has passed from us these last 2,000 years. But she is a, a picture of, of, of great faith walking towards Christ and, and seeking all of his benefits. She is the greatest benefit, of course, is her salvation. But she walks towards him. for her healing, for his healing touch of her illness. And no doubt this was also an example to Jairus and obviously to the rest of us who've read this for the last 2,000 years. And just just look at this from Jairus' perspective. That's wonderful. The woman is healed. But they were going to heal his daughter. Why are we stopping? You can imagine that Jairus may have 
had a little urgency about him. And in fact, uh, if he did have that uh, concern about his, his, his daughter dying before they got to the house, I mean, that was confirmed. While he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your, your daughter is dead. Why, why trouble the teacher any further? So, the daughter was, was close to death this whole time. But, but Jesus, overhearing this, said, Do not fear, only believe. He's saying, Do you see what I just did with the woman with the bleeding? For 12 years? Only believe, have faith, that I can raise your 12 year old daughter up from the dead. So, they continue to the house, and it was a, a smaller crowd that he brought with him, only Peter and James and John uh, and, uh, and Jairus of course, and they get to the house and there's all kinds of weeping and, 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 and wailing loudly and commotion and these are paid mourners those who had some kind of means in that day would hire mourners, it was the custom, Jewish custom and I had a pretty good one really now, not all the Jewish customs are great, but I think we could learn a lot from this one. Um, uh, I think they dealt with mourning very well. And uh, that's just my two cents, though. Um, and, they, and Jesus sees this, and he, and, he, and he says to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And their reply is that they start to mock him. They laugh at him. And that's, I think, a good reason to suspect that these are paid mourners because I think if you're really close to the family or your family friends or, or whatever and you, and you love the family and their daughter and, and Jesus said something like this, you'd kind of be hopeful, you know. I mean, I would. I'd take that as, a, well, all right. The teacher says that she's not dead. That's good news. But, but these folks laughed and mocked. They, you know, they were just there moaning and carrying on uh, as, as paid mourners. And they mocked Jesus. And so, this is interesting when he says to them, she is not dead but sleeping. Jesus has, has told the crowds and told the people that he's going to speak to them in parables from now on. Remember that? Back in chapters 3 and 4 he said he was, he was done speaking to the crowds and those who were going to be mocking him and such in plain language he was going to speak in parables. And so this may well be Jesus' way of speaking in a parable by saying she's not 
dead. She's just sleeping. Because sometimes uh, sleeping can be a euphemism for death. can be kind of a play on words, if you will. And we'll mention that a little bit before we finish up here. But we also see that that Jesus takes this opportunity to put all those mockers outside and he just keeps his disciples, the three disciples with him and the mother and the father and they go into the room where this 12-year-old girl lay. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And, And what happened? Immediately, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. Just as the the woman with the 12 years of bleeding was healed immediately, Mark says, so the 12-year-old girl was, was raised up immediately. And they were amazed. The, overcome, the bystanders were overcome. They were amazed. And, and Jesus, what does he say? He says, well, give her something to eat. Probably hasn't eaten for a while. And he tells them to be quiet. Don't say this to anybody. Because what's going to happen when the people outside see the little girl up and walking? The mockers, what are they going to say? Very possibly, they're going to say, oh, she was sleeping. She just refreshed. Now she's up and walking around. You know, yeah, maybe she had a, had a, had a bad fever and, and, and Jesus you know, healed her of a bad fever and, and we've seen healers and doctors and such do that time and again. So they're, they're not going to understand the raising of the dead. They're not going to know because they're sworn to secrecy. Jesus has cast the mockers out. But the believers he has brought in with them and shown them his power, his resurrection power that the people on the outside because of their hard hearts knew nothing about. This is the first instance we have in Mark of anyone being raised from the dead. I think it's the only one. But he has shown those closest to him his ultimate power and given them a foretaste. He's shown them that those with faith will be raised and those without faith will be sent outside. So friends, Let us relish our faith. Let us use it in the power of the Holy Spirit to to bless ourselves and one another. Not just in, you know, these are, you know, really significant, huge works of, of Christ. 
according to the faith of His people, but every day we, there's, there's little acts of faith, little ways that, that we can exercise our faith, use this great tool Christ has given us to grow us in Him and to bless others and to make His greatness known. Let us not neglect this great instrument that God, this great tool that Christ has given us. Let's pray. We thank You, Jesus, for all Your power and goodness that You even raised the dead to life and, and one day that is going to happen with all of us. That is our hope and our reality, Lord. And we pray that you, you grow our faith in you. Because it's not faith itself, but what is the object of our faith. And that object, Lord, is you. Help us to be yours, Lord. To walk in the Spirit that we don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Grow us in you. And we pray this in your Son's precious and gracious and true name. Amen.